So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for being the God who ministers unto us. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word. And that, Lord, it is to challenge our lives. Help us, Lord, to receive your word, but allow your word to do what you have stated it would do. And that, Lord, it will not return to you void. Your word will either cause us to believe you and trust you and take us deeper into you, or your word will chase us away from you. And our prayer is, Lord, that our desire is to dive deeper into your word and allow your word to speak to us and search our hearts and allow your word to challenge us, Lord, that we might be the people that you have called out of darkness into your marvelous light. May you bless us today and may we be a blessing to you by the way in which we live and the desire in our hearts to live for you. May we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you didn't make the adult vacation Bible school part. There was three topics that I somewhat gave out, and we're going to review those three topics in this time also as we march along in this thing of salvation in the church. The first one is, who am I? And what is it that I'm supposed to be? Who am I? And what is it that I'm supposed to be? The second one is to give your very best. That you become a person who desires to give your very best to the Lord. And the third one is to understand the power that you have as a believer and as a Christian. You are not weak. You're not a victim unless you allow yourself to be a victim. You are somebody in whom God, in a sense, like Paul says, that I'm pouring myself into you. The question is, how much will you allow God to pour himself into you? That's the question. That You're the only one that can answer that. Mr. Swoop, Ed Swoop, and that was his stepson, Swoop, Mr. Grant, Ed Grant, used to say to me and Tony when I was over at his house, he said, when you guys become satisfied with life, you need just to die. When you become satisfied where you are in your Christian walk, the Lord just need to take you home. Now, a lot of us don't want that to happen. But the Christian life is the most challenging thing that you will ever experience. The Christian life can also be one of the most fearful things you can experience because God is going to take you to places beyond your imagination and what you would ever even think that he would call you into or to have you to do. I told my grandson this morning, and first question I asked him, well, what was the thing that you enjoyed this week, being with Grandma and Grandpa? And each one of them went around and stated what they had to say. And then I gave my little evaluation of them, in a sense. And my one grandson, Kai, he has a disorder, and he was telling me uh, what his counselor told him when his mind just gets fixed on something uh, he just somehow uh, takes it and, and, and whatever. And he came to me early in the week. He said, Grandpa, I stole something. And I said, but how did it get in your pocket? Even though the counselor told you that your mind will get fixed on something, you had to tell your hand to reach over there and take it. You had to tell yourself to put it in your pocket. 
you had to tell yourself to walk away with it. Now, all those times you had opportunity to stop it. And I was sharing with him this morning. Yes, you do have this handicap, this disability, this whatever. But you're okay because God created you and God has allowed that in your life, not for you per se, but for his purpose. Now, exactly how God's going to use you, Kai, I don't know yet. But don't you do wrong and then blame it on your sickness or what's going on in your life. Little Jade and I shared with him because he made a face at Grandma that I didn't like when Grandma told him to do something. And I shared with him, Jaden, in life, you're going to have to do things you don't like. And people are going to tell you to do things. And a boss, when you're working, may direct you to do something that you don't like. And you're going to give that face and you might get fired. I said, learn to smile when you are told to do something you don't like. I said, there's a little song that says, whistle while you work. Work isn't always pleasant. But if you'll whistle and allow yourself to be happy in the work, it'll go well with you. Rather than building up this anger and tension on the inside. And then the littlest one, boy, she's a pistol at times. Mark Jr. found that out when he got called to be this week. And she got a nice little whooping behind that. And then I shared with her, you're a young lady. Certain things don't come out your mouth. You are the one who allows it to come out. You can think it, but you can stop it right there. And then the oldest girl I was sharing with her, to be able to accept who she is. She don't have to be somebody else, but just accept who she is. And then we had prayer before they left. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Who are you really? Who are you really? And when's the last time you sat down before God and examined yourself to understand where you are? There there is something about me when I'm traveling I have to look at that speedometer every now and then. If I, if I don't, I find myself going way, not just a little bit over, but way over. Depending on what song is on, the car keeps up with the beat. You know, you know. And I have to look at myself and bring it back down. If you take time to examine yourself, you will find areas in your life where you agree with God and then you give God permission, in a sense, to work in that area. Understand this. God wants to do it, but he can't do it without you. Remember that song we used to sing? He won't do it without you. God knows the areas in your life he wants to work on, but he can't do it without you and without you willing to admit. Lord, I need your help in this area. Lord, I need your strength in this area. Lord, I need victory in this area. Lord, I know I'm weak in this area. Lord, I need your help. Without us confessing those things, what we do is what often is said in psychology. We stuff them and we go on in life thinking we're okay. We're okay. 
Now, but I am is important. And nobody can really say what I am, but who? See, but you. What should I be has to be asked by you. You know where you are, but now where should you be? Little Kevin, Faith is tutoring him with his reading. And she is telling me, little Kevin, when they get ready to start, come down, oh, my mind is tired. And he can give all his excuses. And that's just like us. We can give our excuses to God why we don't want to work in this weak area of our life. But he knows we need it. Just like Kevin needs to be able to read. He doesn't want to put the effort there. So he has to be challenged. But guess what? When he does it, he's just as happy with himself and the joy that fills his little heart. Because he did it. Doesn't that remind us of ourselves? Sometimes we're dragged into something and then we find the joy of the Lord in it and we're just happy with it. What should I be? You're the only one who can answer that. You know where you are and you know what you should be. Now, God never holds back on allowing me to see myself. He'll never hold back from allowing you to see yourself. But the question is this. Do you really want to work on yourself? The question is, do you want to better yourself? The question is, do you want to grow in Christ? Or are you satisfied in the position and place you are? God never holds back on allowing me to see myself. If I'm honest, and there comes the big thing. We will lie to ourselves very quickly. We taught ourselves to lie to ourselves. We taught ourselves. Much what the world is saying, even about college, we want to dumb dumb down everything. It used to be we were in a society that took everything up. Now we're in a society that wants to bring everything down. Standards, morals, ethics. We want to bring everything down rather than pushing everything upward. We're not willing to really give our best to really run at it. We're okay if we're just mediocrity, we're making it. But is that your best? He doesn't want us to believe a lie about ourselves. Because Satan will sell you a lie about yourself. You don't believe me, you start asking people about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And they will tell a lie rather than the truth about themselves. Ask them where they are with the Lord. And most times they will tell a lie rather than tell the truth. We lie to ourselves because the father of lies know that if we don't acknowledge truth, we will not grow. We will not grow. And if we don't acknowledge truth, we're not trusting God in our personal life to grow. And what we have to recognize is that God really does want to reveal me to me because I really don't know me I think I know me I think I know what I have need of but he's the one who really knows what I have need of I think I'm okay but he has said you're okay because God knows and he's already said it he who begins or have begun a good work in us, he will continue that work 
He didn't say he will complete it on this side of heaven. He said it will be completed when I see Christ face to face. That's a lot of work that we want to recognize. Go to Romans 3, 23. And, and, and I would pose this question to you. Why would God say this? Why, why wouldn't God say, hey, uh, a lot of you are okay, but some of you are messed up. Why wouldn't God just come out and just say, hey, you guys are doing fantastic, but uh, we just need to step it up a notch. God comes out and he just tells us the truth about ourselves, and a lot of people don't want to handle this truth. And he simply says in that 323, he says, for all have sinned. When he uses the word all, who is he referring to? Everybody. But everybody don't want to accept that they are what? So, some say don't call people sinners because that's an embarrassment on them. And, and some people don't want to acknowledge that they're a sinner, so don't call them sinners. Robert Schuller somewhat coined that. He said, if you call people sinners, you've chased them away from you before you ever have an opportunity to really witness and share with them about their sinfulness. Because people don't want to know or recognize themselves as sinners. But as you have opportunity to work with them, it begins to reveal itself. That I'm a sinner. Why? God said it. That all have sinned. And the whole process, i got to recognize, recognize myself as a what? As a sinner. Before anything can happen. And I think AA is right on this. Until you admit you're an alcoholic, you won't do anything. Until you admit you're a drug addict, nothing will change. Until you admit what you are, who you are, nothing changes. And that's why Scripture in James 5 says, confess your faults one to another. What are you doing? You're admitting who and what you are. And he says, boy, in that verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all done that. So if we've all done that, we can't really compare ourselves with who? With ourselves. <clears throat> because we're all failures in a sense. But we have a measuring stick in Jesus Christ. Go over to Galatians 5.19. <clears throat> Galatians 5.19. And to understand that yes these things can happen in our lives but as the young lady said we don't have to live there so in 519 he tells me about the flesh a little bit things that are going to happen in the flesh he simply says boy the acts of the sinful nature are obvious now they're obvious but who has to admit to them you go up to somebody and tell them, you're an adulteress. You just said the wrong thing. You go up and tell somebody, you're immoral. You just said the wrong thing. You're inviting a fight. You go up and you tell somebody, you're a drug addict. You got a big problem. Whenever we bring up the sins of the flesh, to one another or to people, boy, you're nothing but a troublemaker. You cause dissension between brothers and sisters in Christ. Boy, wrong thing to say. See? And he says, here are some of the things about the flesh. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurities, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, or orgies, 
and the light. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this. Now, let's bring it to, uh, who is Paul speaking to? He's, he's speaking to Christians. Why? Christians got to deal with all that. Now, I was glad we get to 1 Corinthians 6. He's going to say something about us. And even in Ephesians, he said, you once yourself, what? Live like this. You once were like that. But see, as he deals with each one of these areas in our lives or these things in our lives, we're the ones who have to say, Lord, let's go to work on this. Lord, I'm a lustful person. Look, we got to go to work on this. Lord, I have a mouth that is not clean. Let's go to work on this. Lord, I have a mind, a conscience. Oh, Lord, you, you, you got to give me victory in this. And you got to go to work on it. You got to deal with it. Hey. And the whole process is that when you go to work on it and you agree with God that yes, I do have to really work on this. He begins to work with you because he knows you cannot overcome these things, what? By yourself. You can't overcome them by yourself. Oftentimes for Christians, we think this way. I'm saved, so all these things are just gone. Because I accepted the Lord, I've been washing the blood, I'm filled with his Holy all these things just gone. No. He gives you the Holy Spirit, and as we get into the areas of the Holy Spirit later in this series, you're going to discover the Holy Spirit is there to empower you to really deal with these things. Because the flesh cannot. The flesh is weak. Man cannot transform himself. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit to truly transform us. And in 1 Corinthians 6, turn to it, and that verse 9, he simply says it in this manner. Oh, let me get, get over there. I'm in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he says, Do not, do not be deceived. And who is he talking to again? Yeah. Don't allow Satan to deceive you. Agnostics believe, boy, this body could do anything. But it didn't touch the soul or the spirit of man. So the body could be an immoral body. The body could have adulterous affairs. The body could do this and do that. Because it was totally separate, in a sense, from the soul. And he says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by that. He says, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes. Well, the thing is, today we do have male prostitutes. They, they service the highest bidder, whoever will give the biggest checkout on first of the month. Whoever will feed them the most. Whoever will take care of them. Whoever will turn over their car keys to them. We do have male prostitutes today. Just in a different way. Nor homosexuals. Nor thieves. Nor the greedy. Well, Lord, that's not a sin just because I want a little bit more. When is enough enough? See, if you expect to put up enough money where you feel secure, you'll never have enough money. If your security is not in Jesus Christ, you'll never feel secure with the temporal things of this world. Money will not make you feel secure. It's Jesus Christ. And then it's the understanding that if God has blessed you with wealth, you're only a steward of his. And that's all we all are. 
We're stewards of that which he temporarily put in our hands because you're not going to take it with you. You get up to heaven and try to use your visa card. You're not going to take it with you. And he goes on, he says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is what you once were. This is how you live. This is how you practice. Now, the truth of the matter is this here. As Christians at times, we slip back where? We slip back. And I think that slippery back allows us to recognize someone how dependent we are upon Jesus. He allows us to see, as Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. And Paul was somewhat at that point examining himself and looking at himself and said, I haven't arrived. And let me share with you, we haven't arrived yet. We're still on this journey of becoming like Jesus Christ. Why? We've been predestined to be like Christ. We're on the road of becoming like him. We are not what we used to be. But we ought to examine ourselves and know where we are. He said, you once were like this. You once were a liar. Just an outright liar. But you don't lie as much now. Just every now and then. But there was a day you lied every day. Everything about you was a lie. And then in Proverbs 6.16, boy, God says seven things I hate. And what I'm doing here is just showing you different areas. They're not the same, but boy, he, he says, I want you to take a look at yourself. You have to really look at yourself. He says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. A haughty look or a prideful look. Pride cometh before what? Before fall. And, and, and sometimes we're so proudful of ourselves, we can't hear from anybody else. We're right in our own eyesight. And we won't hear what others might be saying and take it in and weigh it. That's all. You weigh it. And if it fits, then you own it. Cinderella. A lot of folks wanted that shoe to fit. And they tried to force it on. But it didn't fit. But when it came to the right person, all she had to do was just slip it in. And it fit. And if it fits you, then you need to deal with it. We need to deal with it when it fits us. And he says, haughty eyes, a lying tongue. And oftentimes we lie to ourselves. And one of the biggest lies that we lie to ourselves is simply this. Nobody else will know. That's a huge lie. Somebody else already knows. And eventually others are going to know. Because what is done in the dark will eventually be brought to what? To the light if it is not dealt with and confessed. And he goes on, he says, hands that shed innocent blood. Innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. How often do you stay up planning against somebody else? How much do you waste time planning to see somebody else's downfall? How often do you plan to hurt somebody else over hearsay or because they made you angry or because it's not the way you want it? Your thing is to see them come down. Feet that are quick to rush to evil. A false witness who pours out lies. 
a man who stirs up dissension among brethren. Now, these things are different than what is spoken of where at in Galatians 5 or in 1 Corinthians 6 there. They are different. And you can keep going through the Bible and you can find these different things that God has to work on us and purge us and get them out of our lives. And that's a difficult work. Everyone has to look at themselves, not at their neighbor. You have to look at yourself. For Matthew 7, he talks about the beam in your eye. Before you get ready to take the little splinter out of somebody else's eye, take the beam, what? Out of your own eye. And the only thing he's saying is, really, deal with yourself. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. Go to chapter 10, 12. Because the whole thing is that, boy, you got to really be honest with yourself. And that's a difficult to be honest with you. To look at yourself in the mirror and, and, hey, I'm not the most handsome guy. I'm not the most beautiful woman. I'm not this. But the mirror helps you to adjust whatever is what? Not right. And in that verse 12, he simply says, and we're going to come down. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. Oh, they're patting themselves on the back. They, they got themselves on the high level. No, we don't. No, we're not going to compare ourselves there. When they measure themselves by who? By themselves. That's a dangerous thing. When we look over at somebody else and we're going to compare ourselves by what they do and how they live. Now, let me share this with you. If somebody's running better than you, there's nothing wrong with trying to catch up with them. And you do your best at it. You do your best. Now, understand this. You may not be able to catch up with them. And that's okay. But you know what they pull out of you? Your best. Your best. Because God gave them a measure of faith that you may not never be able to live up to. But by what you see how they live by faith, it challenges you what? And he says, we don't really measure ourselves by other individuals. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the Feel God has assigned to us. You catch that? What God has assigned to us, what God has given to us, he's expecting us to give us our all and our best. And that's what I boast about. There are a lot of individuals who can preach better than Gus Brown. There's a lot of individuals who can teach better than Gus Brown. There's a lot of individuals who know the Greek far better than Gus Brown or, or either Hebrew or this or that. There's far better. But that doesn't mean I take a second seat automatically to them. Dr. Lugerson told me one thing on graduation. He said, Gus... You are now my peer. He was once the teacher. (laughs) And he said, you are now my peer. And I still got stacks of his notes and a couple of his books. And and I think of Dr. Lux, he has gone on to heaven. But words that he said to me, those words are still here. And every now and then, because Elaine took one of his courses, we'll, we'll go back and talk about that course, especially about, boy, in Revelation. He says three things are going to happen to the United States, and we talk about those three things and seeing how they're coming to pass in a sense. There is no limit to our own high opinion of ourselves. We think more of ourselves than we what? Than we ought, Scripture says. Now, Why should I examine myself? You need to examine yourself. You're going to give an account for yourself, according to Romans 14. 
verse 12. That every one of us will give an account to God for our life. You need to examine yourself. Why? For conscience sake. You know it. You know when you've done something wrong. You know when you need to confess. You know. And God says, I'm greater than your heart. And if your heart condemns you, what am I to do? But see, when you examine yourself and really look at yourself, what God has given you opportunity to do is put the word into action now. Lord, forgive me for this, and then begin to do what is right. Because at some point in life, in Christianity, what we don't understand, as we learn the word, God gives us the ability to correct ourselves before he steps in. It's the same thing with children. You raise children. And when you raise them rightly, guess what? They know. And they can correct themselves in life. And they can say, this is wrong. And I won't do it. Why? It's wrong. And they can correct themselves before you ever find out about it. And then you need to do what? Correct. And God gives us his word that we have hidden in our hearts that we may not sin against him, that we might correct that sin and stop it in its tracks. Therefore, if anything comes across my mind, I can put it under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ right then. I don't have to act upon it. I don't have to speak it. I can stop it in its tracks. Why, it's in the formation in my mind. I don't have to follow through with it. That's the victory that he gives me. And I can stop it right there. Because I know it's displeasing to him. I know it's against his rules and what he has for me. And I can stop it right then. He is greater than my conscience. He is greater than my heart. And I need to understand that according to 1 John 3, 19 and 20. And the Lord already knows. The thing is, he wants us to stop lying to ourselves. Stop believing that, hey, I'm okay. Uh, I'm doing this well. You may be doing it well. The question is this, can you do it better? You may be doing it good in man's sight and all men are praising you. And God is saying, hey, you can do it a whole lot better than that. He wants you to stop lying to yourself about yourself. If some of us as Christians would be honest, we will certainly, I have to say this week, it has been a grueling week in a sense. Just like I forgot my Bible where I put it over there and I'm thinking it's up in my office. I've lost about four or five things this this week. And like my mind has just went on its own vacation. I didn't tell it to, but it just went. You know. And, you know, I lost my hat. I'm going all around looking for a red hat. And Mike just gave me that hat. I was sitting in his office talking with him and he and I didn't have bring I didn't wear my hat in. He said, Gus, I got a hat for you. You know, he told me about it for wounded soldiers and so forth. He said, I want you to wear this hat. Huh, here, here's the hat. And I lost it the next day. You know, I'm going here looking for it. I'm going there looking for it. I'm everywhere looking for that hat. And I left it at the hospital while I was visiting somebody. And they went home the other day and they called Roscoe and told him, tell pastor I got his hat. <laughs> Then yesterday I lost my keys. You know, couldn't find my keys. You know, and I'm running back over to a house looking for the keys, see if I dropped them on the ground, if I left them in the door. I run back up to restore. I'm looking there and I asked the lady if anybody turned in keys. You know, I'm looking everywhere. And I finally said, Lord, you know where them keys are at. And the Lord said, the piece of wood. I went to the truck, looked under the wood, and there was the keys. (laughs) 
I would lose me if I wasn't in God's hands and he's keeping me. You might lose you if God wasn't holding on to you. And the other thing about me sometimes, I get lazy. I was telling Roscoe, this has been, he, he, he asked me up in the office, you know, how are you doing, Pastor? This has been some week. And I said, Roscoe, after that little board meeting we're going to have today, I'm going to put my pajamas on, and that's going to be it. <laughs> you know. But yet, I still don't know what God has planned in my day. My plan is to rest. His plan may be go visit this or go visit this person or go do this. And he tells me, don't be lazy in the things of the Lord. And sometimes we become lazy in the things of the Lord because we believe we deserve a rest. We believe we deserve a break. We believe. Understand this. Miss Debbie reminds me every now and then. God knows when to lay you down. God knows when you need a rest. You know, don't rest before he what? Gives you rest. And, and Jeremiah, we'll pick back up next week, but go to Jeremiah 16. Because I want you to catch this. It's what the people were seeing about themselves to a certain degree. And what the people were thinking about themselves. And then what God says. Pick up in that verse 9. Because disasters are coming and people will believe in the false prophets. No, God won't do this. God won't do that. We're okay. But he says in that verse 9. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Before your eyes and in your day, I will bring an end to the sounds. What kind of sounds? Sounds of joy and gladness. And to the voice of bride and bridegroom in this place. When you tell these people all this, and they will ask you, why? Has the Lord decreed such a great disaster against us? What wrong have we done? Isn't that us? I'm looking at myself one way and I'm saying, what have I done? What have I done? I haven't done anything. Many of us are like the rich young ruler. I've done all these things right. What have I done? And that's the question that comes up. Why has the Lord decreed such a great disaster against us? What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? Then say to them, It is because your fathers forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law. But you have behaved more wickedly than your what? Wait wait, wait a minute, Lord. You're saying we're behaving more wickedly than our fathers? Your fathers forsook your law? What are we doing? And he says, you're worse than they were. But they saw themselves as what? Okay. 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 What have we done? And he goes on and he says, see how each of you is following the stubbornness of his evil heart instead of obeying me? So I will throw you out of this land into a land Neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you will serve other gods day and night. For I will show you no favor. Lord, what have we done? Haven't done anything for you to take your favor from me. Take your blessings from me. Take your mercies from me. 
Lord, I haven't done anything. And yet, the question is, are you obeying him? Not in just the things that are pleasing to you, but in all things. Are you obeying him? Look at Jeremiah 17 now, because he somewhat answers this for us in this area. Because the heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can know it but God? Because, see, we'll say to ourselves, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm not doing anything wrong. By whose standards? Just because this couple don't get married doesn't mean I should live with somebody. But that has caught on, and even to the church now, we don't say it's wrong anymore. So our churches are full with people who are just living together and living in sin. But we don't say anything because we don't want to upset the cart. We don't want to say anything. That sex outside of the marriage bed is wrong. We don't want to say anything. And most of the time, we're always blaming the woman rather than who? The one who goes on the hunt. The man. And he comes back to us. And he allows us to know this. In 9, pick up in verse 9 again. The heart... Is deceitful above all things. Whose heart is he talking about? Our heart. For in our own eyes, every man seeing himself what? Right. Every man sees himself right in his own eyes. He judged himself right in his own action. The heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, you can't cure it yourself. You can't heal your own heart. And he goes on, he says, why, who can understand it? Then he answers it in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his what? To his conduct. The reward can be either a blessing or the reward can be a curse based on your what? Your conduct. And he says, according to what his deeds deserve, God can do that. Now, turn over to Lamentations real quick. I didn't write this one down. So, Lamentations uh, chapter 3 and verse 40, I believe it is. Um, because kind of goes along with this here. 3 and verse 40. Let me design straight. Listen to what it says. Let us examine our what? Our ways. Really look at your life and the things that you are doing. Then ask this question. Have I taken this to prayer? Have I taken this to prayer? Have I talked to God about this? Have I talked to God about this situation in my life and what I'm doing in my life in this situation? See, I am to bring everything to him. He's my wise counselor. I'm bringing everything to him. I'm talking to him about everything in my life. Oh, yes, I'm over 21. I can make my own decisions. I got a good mind. I can reason it out. But have you taken it to him? And, and he simply says, boy, you need to really look at your ways. Then he says, test them. Test them. Why? You're going to discover if it's of the flesh or if it's of your, the spirit. He says, test them. John tells us the same thing, to test the spirits. Okay. And he says, test them. Really put them to the test. If they fail, look at what he says to do with them. He says, test them. And let us return where? To the Lord. If they're not of the Lord, we turn away from that and we seek his face. If there's not what God has planned for us, we turn from it. And that's the hard part. Because often... 
our pride will not allow us to admit that we're wrong. Our pride will not allow us to turn. And that's why he puts it in there. Pride cometh before a fall. So he pre-warns us about our own what? Pride. And he's not saying to be, you're not to be proud. You ought to be proud that you are a servant of the Most High. You ought to be proud that you are a Christian. You ought to be proud that you are a saint. You need to be proud that you are a virgin. You ought to be proud that you're not an adulterer. You ought to be proud that you're not an alcoholic. You ought to be proud you're not a drug addict. He's not saying don't be prideful in a sense. But when your pride dismisses him, from evaluating or turning to him, then it's the wrong type of pride. In Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen, he makes something, and we'll close with this, but we can go on with communion. It's a natural thing that takes place. And he wants us to see that Oh, yes. He's, he's put it there. Before a mirror was ever created, God made it where you could see yourself. Why? He wants you to see yourself. He wants you to see yourself. He wants us to see who we are. So he says in twenty-seven nineteen. He says, as water reflects a face, as water reflects a face, and when you get into pure water and so forth, you can look down at it and you can see who? You can see yourself. Water can reflect your face. Why? He wants you to see yourself. And he says, so a man's heart reflects what? The man. When you honestly look at yourself, you will discover who you are, but God will also allow you to know the work that he's doing in your life of what he is making you into, what he has called you to. And what he is spurring you on to be. But it starts with us looking at ourselves and being honest with ourselves and then taking action to do something about myself. James says it in a different way. A man can look in the mirror and see himself or into the word of God and sees himself, but then do what? Nothing. And he says, I prefer that as you are in the word of God and God's word teaches you and shows you and reflects you, that you become a what? A doer of the word. That you begin to live out that word. You begin to make corrections in your life because of the word. You just don't have the word and then do nothing with it. God has given you this. That you might examine yourself and really look at yourself. And to know, yes, your heart can be deceitfully wicked. And therefore you ask the Lord, Lord, search me. Search my heart. Lord, are the things that I have planned and the things that I'm doing, Lord, are they pleasing unto you? Is this what you want me involved in, Lord? And there's a lot of good things you get involved in. But the question is, is that the place God wants you to be? A good word to study out sometime in the Bible is the word there. The word there. Because the Lord says, be there. Elijah, he said, you be by the brook. 
and the raven will feed you. Don't want to be nowhere else, but be there. And it's important that we be where God, what? Wants us to be. That's important. Father, we just want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. And and as we pick this up again next week, who am I? What should I be? That, Lord, you'll minister to each and every one of us. That we won't look to the left, to the right, to front or back, or try to find somebody else to measure ourselves with. But, Lord, we'll look to you. And we'll ask the question, Lord, have I somehow succumbed to a point that I just want to be like the world? I want to act like the world. I just want to dress like the world. I just want to be okay like the world. Yes, we're saved. And some of us are going to make heaven with the stench of smoke all in our clothes. Because we just escaped the fire. And others of us will enter into heaven and there will be no stench. And we will receive rewards because of what we have done. We are the people who have to examine ourselves and ask, what kind of life do we really want to live for the Lord? Yes, the Lord saves us. But do you really want to live out your salvation? Or do you just want to miss hell? Which is it? Do you really want to be a saint of God? Do you want to be known as gold and silver and precious stone? Or are you willing to be satisfied with wood, hay, and stubble? Which is it? We're always going to have to be looking at ourselves in this flesh. Because the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. And he, he wants us to grow. He wants us to expand. He wants us to go further and deeper. But do you want to go? Do you want to go? Father, may you take your word. May you cause us, Lord, to regurgitate it. May you cause us throughout the week to reflect upon it. May you cause us to search the scriptures to see if it be so. That you desire us to examine ourselves and to push ourselves, as Paul says in a sense, to press against that which is somewhat holding me back. To throw off every shackle, everything as Hebrews talks about, that hinders my growth and my walk with you. Lord, minister to us, I pray. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to give to the Lord, we want to say thank you, Lord for such a high privilege to give unto him. For he has been more than faithful to us. And what we give is not so much what I went out and gathered. It's what the Lord has put in our hands. Who got you up to go to work every day this week? (laughs) Who gave you the job? Who placed you there? What God knows is work is what he created us for. Father, we want to thank you for this privilege. I give back to you a portion of that which you blessed us with. May you take it and multiply it and use it for the furtherance of your kingdom. Lord, if we give a tithe, if we give more than a tithe, if we give less than a tithe, 
Our prayer is, Lord, that you would multiply it and use it for thy glory. In Jesus' name, amen.